Welcome, my friends, to Season 7 of Be Formed. This is Week 11 out of 13. Uh, today we're going to hear from Bishop James Wall. Uh, bishop Wall is the Bishop of the Diocese of Gallup, which is the northeastern corner of Arizona and the northwestern uh, corner of New Mexico. Uh, they serve the, the, a lot of the Native American population, largest Native American population in the country. So Bishop Wall is going to be presenting to us uh, the connection between the Eucharist and Holy Orders. So let's have a listen to Bishop Wall. Hi, this is Bishop James Wall of the Diocese of Gallup. I'm coming to you from the waterfront in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, the bishops of the United States are currently uh, gathered in our fall plenary session. Uh, the bishops of the United States gather twice a year. And so we always gather in Baltimore in November and then uh, different places throughout the United States in June. Uh, this past June, we were in Orlando. This upcoming June, we'll be in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I, along with about 300 bishops from around, around the United States are uh, gathering and, and talking about different things. and. Uh, doing the work of the church, especially the work of the church here in the United States. So uh, happy to come to you from Baltimore, Maryland. What I uh, like to talk to you tonight is, we, as we continue to talk about the Eucharist, is the Eucharist in connection to holy orders. So when we speak about holy orders, we know we speak about the diaconate, we speak about the priesthood, and then we speak about the episcopacy. And... Um, Myself, uh, having been ordained a, a deacon in 1998, March of 1998, and then a priest in June of 1998, and then eventually consecrated and installed as a bishop in the Diocese of Gallup on April 23rd, 2009, uh, I have been ordained all three of the holy orders. And so a bishop is someone who has received, someone who is um, referred to as somebody who has the fullness of holy orders, and so uh, that's. So I think this is a good topic, uh, topic for me to to speak on, and especially in relationship to the priesthood. In Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the definitive document that comes from this, come to us from the Second Vatican Council uh, on the liturgy, uh, the Church teaches us that there are four ways in which Christ is present in the liturgy, the celebration of the sacrifice and the Mass. It said, first of all, Christ is present to us in the assembly, and we know that because Scripture says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And we, so we know that Christ is made present in the congregation, in the assembly, uh, gathers for the celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass. We also know that, that Christ is made present in the word proclaimed at Mass. So every time Scripture is proclaimed at Mass, Christ is made present. And I would say it's probably most obvious to us when the Gospel is proclaimed. Our, our posture changes. We stand. Um, we sing the Alleluia. Uh, we, do, we do special things in sensation, all these different things. It's most, most uh, obvious to us at the Gospel because those are the words and deeds of Jesus. And so Christ is made present to us at Mass when the Word is proclaimed, Old or New Testament. And then we also know that Christ is made present to us 
in the church as minister, which is going to be the focus of uh, my talk uh, today. And I would say that is most obvious to us, especially in, in, during the words of institution. Because at the words of institution, as the priest takes the, the host in his hand, as the priest takes the chalice, he says, this is my body. He says, this is my blood. And he does so because at that very moment, within the celebration of the sacrifice of the mass, the priest, bishop, is acting in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Christ the head. Another term that we would use is we'd use alter Christus, another Christ. So he's acting in the person of Christ the head. He could say, this is the body of Jesus. This is the blood of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He could say that, that would be true. However, uh, because Christ has given the commandment at the Last Supper to do this in remembrance of me, in memory of me, he, he does those very words out of obedience to the command that Christ has passed along to the church. And so we know that present in the assembly, present in the word, and then also present in the church as minister. Now, the two sacraments we're talking about today, holy orders, as well as the Eucharist, and Sacrosanctum Concilium, what the church does is she uses a little bit of elevated language when it comes to the Eucharist. Because she says that, in, she says that Jesus Christ is present par excellence in the Eucharist. Now, I think this a bit of a kind of our American approach to things, we can be a bit uh, competitive. And I think sometimes when we compare things, uh, perhaps we think that, okay, if we're elevating something, if we're using elevated speech, such as par excellence, that somehow it's downplaying the role of the presence of Christ and the other three, which I just mes uh, mentioned. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Um, par excellence, because Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. We can't say that about the other three. So he's substantially present to us in the Eucharist. We know that, <clears throat> as St. Thomas would say, our, our words that we use to describe the accidents remain the same. It still looks like bread. It still uh, tastes like wine. It still feels like it. It's All those things remain the same. But what has changed is the substance. It is substantially changed, although under the appearance of bread and wine, it is now uh, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So we use a little bit of, a little bit of elevated language when it comes to, to uh, the Eucharist and in Sacrosanctum Concilium. Again, not to downplay the role of the other three, but we, we use a little bit of a language for that, for that reason. So with this in mind, let's look at the connection, the intimate connection between holy orders, again, bishop, priest, and deacon, and the, the, the Eucharist. And this comes from Sacra, uh, Sacramentum Caritatis, which was a post-synodal apostolic exhortation. And that means that this is a document that came out of a synod that the church has. And currently, or we're just kind of in the middle of this, this whole process of, on the synod and synodality. So we're having this gathering on synodality. So this is a, a post-synodal apostolic exhortation. And the first synod that Benedict XVI held in 2005 
was a synod on the Eucharist. And this document came out in 2007. So it's the document that came out of the synod. And it's it r roughly translated to the sacrament of charity. And that's what we're, we're drawing our, our thoughts from. So sacramentum caritatis in relationship to the to, to holy orders, it says that no one can say, this is my body and this is the cup of my blood, except in the name and in the person of Christ, the one high priest and the new of the new and eternal covenant. So again, a, a priest is not his own, right? A priest is somebody who is, is, is conformed to Jesus Christ, who is the eternal high priest. And a priest, a bishop, uh, celebrates this and says these words out of, out of obedience to what Christ has passed along to us. We know that at the, the Last Supper, uh, Christ gives that commandment. He says, this is my body, this is my blood. And he says, do this in memory of me. That, that term memory, it's, it's, it's a little tricky in our modern usage. I think sometimes when we hear the term memory, we think, okay, um, I remember something I did yesterday, or I have a memory from my childhood. But when we use that, 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 that type of language in our modern sense, it doesn't mean that remembering what I had for lunch yesterday is present at this very moment or having a very fond memory of something that took place in my childhood doesn't mean that that memory is somehow transported to, to this moment. But when we use the church memory in the sense that our Lord used the church memory, it literally means to make present. So it literally means to make present. I think sadly this is, I think some of our separated brothers and sisters in Christ, unfortunately they don't catch this, the, the meaning of this, this, this term. Uh, in the usage that Jesus was using it. And so I think sometimes they miss the point that when we speak about the Eucharist within the celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass, it is Christ who is truly present to us. And so the, the person or the church's minister who says this uh, can only say, say this out of obedience to Christ and only evidently after having been uh, conform to Jesus Christ uh, through the imposition of hands, through the rite of ordination in the church. And so only, only this person can say these things uh, except the, the name of the person of Jesus Christ, right? Having been uh, uh, ordained and now conformed to Jesus Christ in a very, very special way. So in relationship to the celebration and sacrifice of the Mass, when we speak about priests, we speak about deacons, when we speak about bishops, but especially, I think, for those who offer the celebration and sacrifice of the Mass, that would be a bishop or a priest, um, we need to stress, as the, the document said, we need to stress once again that the connection between holy orders and the Eucharist is seen most clearly at Mass, when the bishop or priest presides in the person of Christ the head, in persona Christi Capitis. That's my little show off using a bit of a little Latin about, about all the Latin I know. But he, he acts in the person of Christ the head. And that, that last little part of it, when we said Christ the head, so that the church is the one who presides over the body, the assembly, uh, the congregation, those who have gathered in the person of Christ, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And so it is the, the person who is the leader 
uh, presides and he is a person, he acts in the person of Christ the head. He does that within the celebration, the sacrifice of the mass. And Sacramentum Caritatis also speaks about the church teaches that priestly ordination is the indispensable condition for the valid celebration of the Eucharist. I remember when I was a young priest, I was ordained in 1998 in my very first assignment, and we were uh, taking turns preaching the Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter celebration. I think that year I had uh, Good Friday, uh, the pastor had the Easter vigil, and a priest in residence, he had uh, Holy Thursday. And I remember he, he, he just said this line that uh, many people have said it, but what, the way he said it, it really kind of struck me at that moment. He said, without the priesthood, we don't have the Eucharist. Without the priesthood, we don't have the Eucharist. So what's important for us, if we desire the Eucharist and we need the Eucharist, because Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has my very own life within him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So it means that we, if we have this desire for the Eucharist, it means that we also have to obey the Lord's commandments when it comes to the terms of praying for priests. Remember, Jesus looks with them. His heart was moved with pity because they were like sheep without shepherd. And so he gives them a command, beg the harvest master to send laborers into the vineyard. In other words, pray. Uh, St. Augustine says in prayer, we are beggars before God. So without the priesthood, we don't have the Eucharist and we need the Eucharist, brothers and sisters. We need the Eucharist so Jesus can impart his very own life within us. And the priests are the ones who keep that commandment of doing this in remembrance of me. Relationship to that also in, in the celebration of the sacrifice of the mass for the priests, for the bishop, is that priests should be conscious of the fact that in their ministry, they, they must never put themselves or their personal opinions in first place, but it always has to be Jesus Christ. So must never put uh, themselves or their personal opinions in the first place. It always has to be the person of Jesus Christ. In the, again, this document uh, in, in, from the Second Vatican Council, in speaking about um, what is presented to us within the celebration of the sacrifice mass, we know the Missal, that's the official uh, prayer book that we use that tells us how we are to celebrate the mass. Uh, the easy thing we always say, we say, say the black and do the red, and you'll stay out of all sorts of trouble. In other words, avoid the temptation to insert your personality into this. Sometimes if we see something, we say, well, that's a nice word, but maybe I know a, a little better, a, a little different word. And that, that can be on the part of the assembly as well. Maybe in a response, um, we know what the word is. We know what the church presents to us. We think, well, I think in, in my mind, I think this work this word works a little better. We want to avoid that at all things. And I think the virtue that we practice in that is a virtue of humility, giving ourselves over, trusting that the church gives us the proper form for the celebration of the sacrifice and the mass. And so the, the priest wants, wants to avoid it at, at all costs um, to uh, have the liturgy, uh, in a sense, be overridden with his personality. You know, there are parts within the liturgy when our personality just naturally comes forward. And probably the most obvious part is in the homily. And, and so that's, that's where we really get to know our priests. That's where we really get to know our bishops. 
And, and so that's just had to naturally uh, shine forward. But I think with, uh, with the priest and with the bishop to really avoid um, inserting his personality into the liturgy in, in many different parts of the, of the liturgy. It again, naturally comes forward in the, in, the, in the homily, in the sermon that the priest gives. And um, the, 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 the sacra, uh, Sacramentum uh, Caritatis says this, and um, and so, also the the church the the document on the, in the Second Vatican Council says that we're never to change or add or subtract any words, and that it even says if he be a pri- even if he be a priest, and so the importance of of uh, celebrating the mass as the church prescribes it. I would say um, that to change things um, on the on behalf of the minister to change things really is a form of clericalism. That's a word that we hear bounced around quite a bit. And the reason for that is it's a matter of justice and giving the people that is what is rightfully theirs. And what is rightfully theirs is a properly celebrated mass as the church prescribes. So it's a matter of justice, giving something to them that is properly theirs. And um, they really don't need um, uh, uh, the mass celebrated and changed and moved all around as the priest kind of sees, but I think out of humility, the priest, the bishop wants to give them himself over to uh, the celebration of the mass as the church prescribes it. So Sacramentum Caritatis also goes on to say that the priest is above all a servant of others, and he must continually work at being a sign pointing to Christ, a docile instrument in the Lord's hand. Again, and I think, you know, just to give ourselves over as the church prescribes it. And I, I think the, the virtue, the operative virtue that we want to have here would be the virtue of humility, right? Humility, avoiding any sort of pride or again, trying to see how I, I, I could do things a little better. Um, Pope Benedict, I would say in, a, in the last probably, I don't know how many centuries, he just wrote, I think he's one of the best popes when it comes to writing about uh, the liturgy. But Pope Benedict, and I'm paraphrasing him here, it says, in a sense, the personality of the priest, it, it almost is as if it disappears because he acts in the person of Christ. He doesn't act in his own person, right? He acts in the person of Christ. He's conformed to Jesus Christ, the eternal high priest. So he wants to really avoid his personality dominating the liturgy. It's we're human, uh, it, it, can, it can happen. And I think that's why they have to be conscious of this, of avoiding it and doing anything that, that would kind of insert his, his personality in there. And also a connection that Sacramentum Caritatis makes in relationship to um, holy orders, but especially here with uh, celibacy, it, with, with celibacy in connection with the, the, the bishop and with uh, the priests. So we know that that a transitional de- deacon, which is what I was ordained to trans- transitional deacon, a transitional deacon makes a promise of celibacy. And that means he's, he's going to forego marriage, he will not marry. And then that carries over into the priesthood and ultimately carries over in, into the episcopacy as well. And one of the primary reasons that we do that it is because we have been conformed to to Jesus Christ. Now, many of you might be familiar with a, a permanent deacon. You know, a permanent deacon can be a married man, 
um, and he is ordained, so he receives holy orders, and he's ordained as a, as a, as a deacon. And should his wife pass away before him, he is to live out a life, a celibate life for the rest of his life. Now, if he were a, a single man and he were ordained a deacon, um, then he would be making that vow for the rest of his life of celibacy. So, so, so either way, we know the church wants to hold up marriage with something that it is. It's something very, very good. So with, with, a, with a deacon, if he's married and God forbid his wife passes away throughout his, his, uh, his, his time of service, then he is not free to marry again, even though he has once been married. But if he were a, he ordained a permanent deacon and he's not married, again, that's celibacy, similar to, to the life that I live as well. So we do this, or, or celibacy, we do this, we forego this um, all for the sake of the kingdom. And we, we do this in a sense, I would say, so that our hearts um, are not divided. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Um, you know, our, our vocation is a calling that comes to us from God. And our vocation isn't something that, you know, I punch the time clock in the morning, eight o'clock or whatever, and then at 4.30 or five or six or whenever the work day is done, then I punch it out. So I'm not just a priest or I'm not just a, a bishop for that time. But um, and then I and then I go home to my family. Uh, I'm a I'm a priest 24/7. I never stop being a priest. I never stop being a bishop. I do that 24/7. And the reason why we make that promise, and that's what it is, that promise of celibacy, is in order to free us up, in order to serve the people who are entrusted to our care, and in a sense, who becomes our 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 family. Because we forego marriage, we forego having children. In a sense, what becomes our family are the people who are entrusted to our care. And that's the lay faithful, the people who are entrusted to our care. Celibacy really is a gift, right? It's a gift that's given to the individual. It's a gift that the individual gives to the church. And it really is a gift of generosity. So he can completely and totally give of himself for the service of the church. Uh, he doesn't want to have a divided heart. And he wants to make sure that 24-7, completely and totally, like St. Paul says, he's pouring him out like a light, himself out like a libation uh, uh, for the church. There's, a, I think, an, an intimate connection between the Eucharist, um, between uh, the response to, to holy orders, and it's, it's one of generosity. In the Eucharist, we see how Jesus is so generous with us. Right? He gives of himself, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, so that he can part his very own life within us. And so because of that, uh, we want to, to make sure that we are, in a sense, being uh, generous as Jesus is generous with us. And so in that imitation of him giving of himself to the church for the life of the world, so too do we give of ourselves to the people that are, are entrusted to our care. I think it's a, a very key thing um, for, us, for us to always uh, remember. In relationship to, again, the Holy Eucharist and priestly celibacy, 
I would say we remember the words of scripture, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so again, in imitation of Jesus Christ, Christ wasn't married, obviously, and in imitation of Jesus Christ, because a priest, the bishop, is, is conformed to Jesus Christ in a, in a very particular way. I remember um, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he, he, he himself appointed me as a bishop in 2009. And when I was reflecting upon the priestly celibacy as a, um, a complete uh, configuration to Jesus Christ in his self-offering at Calvary, a uh, self-offering on Calvary, the self-offering sacramentally renewed within the Eucharist. And so this is something every time I celebrate the sacrifice in the Mass, this is something every, every time I myself have kind of re reflect upon that. Um, Pope Benedict's also talked about the, the shortage that we have in the priesthood, vocations to the priesthood in, in this uh, beautiful document. And I think that's one of the things that we focus on a lot, but I would say it's more this. I think we have a, a, a shortage of vocations, not just a shortage of vocation to the priesthood, but we have a shortage of vocations. If we take a look around our world, we have more and more people are not simply asking the question, you know, what does God want? But rather they're asking the question, what do I want? So not what does God want, but rather what do I want? But vocation comes from the Latin word here, I'm impressing you again, hopefully, Latin word uh, uh, vocare, which means to call. And so vocation is something means that God is the one that calls the individual to a vocation. So whether that vocation is to the priesthood, whether that vocation is to the diaconate, whether that vocation is to, um, to as a religious, as a, 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 a religious man, a religious woman, sister, brother, uh, a nun, whatever the case might be, or whether that vocation is to the married life, God is the one that, that initiates that call. He's the one that first loves us. He's the one that first calls us to whatever that, that, that particular call might be. But I'd say as we become more and more of a secular society, uh, um, fewer and fewer people are asking the essential question of what does God want? And um, if we're asking the question, what does God want, rather than what do I want, and we hear what God wants of us, and we can only have that through prayer, then then following what does God want, once he places it upon our heart, following what does God want, once he places it upon our heart, that's where we're going to find our greatest sense of happiness because we can trust and know that we are serving God. So, you know, I, I don't marry this person because, you know, I've just kind of backed myself into this vocation, but I marry this woman because I trust that God has set the two of us apart for one another. So that's, I think that's also very, very important. So in Sacramentum Caritatis, it talks about the shortage of priests in connection with the Eucharist, but I, also, I think we should need to expand that a little bit, although I'm speaking about holy orders here. And I'm gonna leave you with this, this final word, and this is just, just a bit of a witness uh, of my own. Um, one year in, uh, during Lent, uh, this was before I was, uh, went into the seminary, and I was uh, a college student, I was finishing up my, my studies, and I decided one year I was going to do something great for God. 
and we're always looking for something big to do during Lent. And I said, I'm going to go to Mass every day during Lent. And I started going to Mass every day during Lent back in around 1990, 91. I, I haven't stopped since. And what happened was, every time I went into Mass, I knew that I had a guaranteed encounter with the living Christ. Christ was present, the assembly and the word proclaimed, the minister, and but I knew I was going to have a guaranteed encounter with him in the Eucharist because he's present to us par excellence, right? Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I was really starting to become on fire about my faith. And one day I walked out of Mass and there was a sign-up board. And the sign-up board had all kinds of different times. You know, when you're on fire for your faith, you know, you'll sign up for anything. You'll say yes to anything. Well, I saw on the sign-up board, uh, and I remember signing up on a, on a Friday at 10 o'clock. And I signed up, and I, I came back at 10 o'clock. I went into the chapel, and lo and behold, what was there? But Jesus Christ was present in the monstrance. So I, I signed up for a Eucharistic adoration. This was a time in the church where it was starting to make a bit of a comeback. Unfortunately, following the Second Vatican Council, and the church never intended this, we had a bit of a, um, you know, a, a lull in Eucharistic adoration. And so um, I knew when I went in there that I had a guaranteed encounter with the living Christ. I could gaze at the Lord, he could gaze at me, and he could work on me as well. It was those two things, those are the two things, daily mass and Eucharistic adoration, in which I had a guaranteed encounter with the living Christ, in which I came to know my vocation. And all the fears that I might have had in my life, they all just kind of, uh, they all just sort of faded away. And it was in those, those, those intimate prayer times with the Lord where I truly came to understand that whatever the Lord wanted for me was best, right? Whatever the Lord wanted me was best. And I, I came to understand that he wanted me to be one of his priests. And as you know, ultimately I got the call uh, to be one of his bishops as well. So um, what do we do? Go to the Eucharist, go to the Eucharist over and over and over again. So we, we never want to make sure we, we don't want to miss Mass on Sunday, never on Holy Day of Obligation, but uh, maybe to add in a little bit, if you're, if you're not going to daily Mass, maybe add an extra day during the week. Maybe if you are going to daily Mass, that's great. Keep it up. Also look for opportunities to go to uh, Eucharistic adoration at least once a week, at least once a week to spend the time before our Eucharistic King. And then what do we do when we're there? I would say, let's just heed our, war, our Lord's words. When he looks at them and he says, his heart is moved with pity because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he says, beg the harvest master to send labors into the vineyard. In other words, pray, 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 and pray some more. And the Lord will hear our prayer and the Lord will do as he continues to do. He'll continue to call men to serve in his church as deacons, as priests, and as bishops who are successors of the apostles. Um, God bless you. And I, I hope this uh, reflection helps you to go deeper into the mysteries of our Catholic faith. Thank you, Bishop Wall, for sharing with us the connection between the Eucharist and holy orders and kind of sharing some of your own experiences of the diaconate, the priesthood, and uh, the episcopacy. Everyone, the Lectio Divina this week is 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. This is that story of, of Samuel 
uh, trying to listen to the call of God. He keeps going to Eli, you know, did you call me? And Eli said, no, it wasn't me twice. The third time Eli recognizes when you hear that voice say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So it's a great uh, passage to reflect on, like, how is God calling you and how is God calling me to follow him? Our final large group of season seven will be December 13th, uh, six o'clock holy hour here at St. Isaac Jogues, followed by a reception and a sharing of graces. It will be live streamed, the church part, but not the part in the parish center. Next week, we'll have Father James Garaccio uh, speak to us about the Eucharist and holy matrimony. And uh, a little insight to season eight, it'll be... The Eucharist Part 2, we're in this whole year of the Eucharist. Uh, Season 8 will run from February 14th, which is Ash Wednesday, until May 13th. Registration will begin January 2nd. Really want to encourage you uh, to register early. And if God's placing it on your heart to be a small group facilitator, uh, please pray about that because as B-Form continues to grow, we need more and more small group facilitators. You don't have to know all the material, just and we can train you how to how to facilitate a meeting and just encourage people to share uh, as they wish. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the gift of the deacons, the priests, and the bishops in our lives. Help us to appreciate uh, how the Eucharist plays a central role in each of their lives. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all, and to you and your families, Buen Camino.